Don't you like that one? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth go strangely dim. So here I am. And there you are. And uh, I was saying out there this morning as I came in, uh, I was on my knees praying about uh, things. And the Lord revealed to me how I could handle you people. And I said, Lord, it's a bit late. <laughs> oh, but I got to use this, so I'm going to put it over here. I'm going to put it over here. How am I going to do this? There. There's. We're in Ephesians 3 this morning in the Word of God. It's a great passage of scripture. It's in the seventh verse that I want to start. Um, in Ephesians 3, Paul uh, established his identity as a minister of the gospel called by the grace of God. And this speaks to the calling of a minister uh, to the church. So let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now made known to the rulers, authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. Lord, add his blessing to the scriptures. You may be seated. And uh, as we always do, the grass withers, the flowers fade, the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray together. Father, we seek your help as we speak truly from the word of God, that we might be brought into a living faith in Christ and trust in the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray these things. Amen. So we're grateful, aren't we, for the unique ministries that we have, all of us. We have different ministries that God's called us to, the ministry that God gives to his people and calls us together, especially given the fact that the whole notion of ministry today and being a minister is fairly disregarded in contemporary society. Uh, one question that is asked of ministry is, what exactly do you do? I've had that, you know, what do you do all week? And don't you just work on Sunday? You know, I've, I've heard that a lot. Uh, one day a week, yeah, that's what I do. That's what I do. That's, that's, that's not just a thought that's outside the church. Uh, I've had members take me to lunch to help me understand what it is that was my duty and uh, what it is I'm supposed to be doing as a pastor of the church and they let me know that anyone can stand up here and behind this box. And uh, anybody volunteer? You want to come up here? <laughs> so here Paul 
is identifying himself very clearly as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the workings of his power. Now you've called a minister, and, uh, and I'm sure this is a passage of scripture that's dear to his heart, as uh, he has been called to minister here. When, when I have a form to fill out, and it says job description, you know, you've, you've had those. What, what have you done if you're, you're looking for a job or something? I'll write minister of the gospel. Uh, rather than senior pastor, I don't write that down. Minister of the gospel, so people will say, well, what's the gospel? What, do you, what is that? You're a minister of the gospel. In verse 6, back up just one verse here, Paul has been explaining to the Ephesians that the mystery has been entrusted to him. This mystery is entrusted to him is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, that the Gentiles are members of the same body, partakers of the same promise that we have, uh, equal heirs, the promise that has come in Christ Jesus. And he identifies himself very clearly as a minister. The word diakonos, which is the word we use for deacon, diakonos, means, simply means servant. We're servants of God. Here is a servant of God. A very, a matter of fact, I don't, even, I, I don't even like this. I don't like to use the term reverend, reverend. Re now, I went through all the school training. I got all that. I went through the, you know, the, all of that that was there. But I, I, the, the, the thing that's attached to the word reverend is rev you're reverencing this person, and I don't like that. Now, I, I prefer pastor. A pastor, I'm a pastor. I'm a servant. I prefer servant, a servant of God. And here's a servant of the gospel. Paul's saying, I'm a servant of this gospel, a servant of the word of God and what the word of God says. And I'm going to gather my thoughts around three simple things this morning as we talk about this. One is I, the identity of who we are. Secondly is the humility that comes with that. And third, the responsibility of pastoring. So first of all, Paul's identity and what he says here. He identifies himself really very clearly here. He just says, I'm a minister proclaiming the gospel. I'm a minister proclaiming the gospel. Um, this is why I bought this here. The, uh, there were three people in heaven who decided one day to play a round of golf. And the first guy steps up to the tee and he hits the drive. And it was headed straight for the water. Sean, you understand that. <laughs> yes, you do. And just as the ball was about to land in the water, he raised his club and he pointed it to the water and he picked it up like this and the water parted. Not him. And the ball landed on dry ground, on dry ground. And he walked out between the two columns of water, hit his ball, perfect shot, middle of the green. And uh, one of his partners yelled out, good shot, Moses. <laughs> good shot, Moses. Second guy gets up, he hits identical flight path. Same thing, straight toward the water. But when the ball landed, it landed and stayed on top of the water. 
He walked out on the water, hit the second shot, which also landed at the center of the green. Moses said, hey, Jesus, good shot. Good shot. Third guy hits off the tee. Nasty slice, Mike. <laughs> Went straight into the trees, whap, careams off the trees, goes toward the out-of-bounds marker. At that moment, a squirrel sees the ball, thought it might be good to eat, runs up, grabs it, starts running toward the fairway. Halfway across the fairway, suddenly an eagle swoops down, grabs the squirrel, and flies away. Squirrel and the ball together. And just as the eagle crosses the green, it lost its grip on the squirrel. The squirrel falls, lands flat on his belly, jarring the ball loose, which took two bounces and landed squarely in the center of the cup. Moses looks with disgust at Jesus and says, and that's why I can't stand to play with your dad. (laughs) Yeah? (laughs) Okay, identity. Identity. Paul's a minister of the gospel. So what do we mean when we say gospel? Remember, we talked about this, uh, we've talked about this a lot. Several weeks ago, we talked, the gospel is not a story about what you're supposed to do, what you're to try to do to make yourself a Christian. The essence of Christianity is to report on something that God did, that God did, that God has done. God has broken into history. You know, it never starts by saying, you've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do that. Christianity does not start by saying, you have to believe. Because frankly, frankly, if God hadn't done what the gospel said that he's done, all your believing in the world doesn't make any sense. The gospel is God has come. God has broken into this world. Jesus, who is God, breaks into history. He lived and he died. He paid the penalty for our sins God in Christ has done something. That's the gospel. That's the message of salvation. What God has done through the death, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, conveying divine power to save all those who believe in him. The gospel is God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And Paul was a servant, a servant a servant, made a minister of that message. So notice verse 7, and I highlighted it here because I think it's important. I was made a minister. He didn't make himself a minister. We don't make ourselves ministers. No person makes themselves a minister. We serve by divine initiative, and we take it serious. This is not an unusual statement by the Apostle Paul. He often identifies himself. He starts most of his books this way. In Romans 1.1, Paul says, I'm a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart to the gospel of God. A servant. I'm a servant. Now, the verb he uses comes up three times. There's a verb in in verses, um, the eight verses here. And if you go to... um, Verse 2, 
It's the verb to give. The verb to give. You've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me. It was to give. He gave it to me. He gave it to me. It was given to me. He didn't seize it. He didn't grab it. And then in verse 7, again, the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. God's doing this. God's the one that makes this happen. Then down in verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of the saints, his grace was given. Was given. So if you go back to the first chapter of Ephesians, chapter 1 and verse 1, identifies himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And he's now depending upon the ministering of God's grace. It is virtually important, vitally important, that we recognize that, that this, here is Paul of Tarsus, who knows nothing of God's grace. Nothing of God's grace. He becomes the beneficiary of God's grace. And having received this grace from God now, he understands who Jesus is and why he's come, and he recognizes that God has set him apart. God has set him apart to convey the same story of grace to those who are as he was. Without hope, without God in this world. And he has this message. So Paul was absolutely convinced that he was what he was by the grace of God. Absolutely convinced. Paul recognized that he left to himself he would have continued to be a self-satisfied Pharisee because that's what he was. He had a great background. I mean, we know this. You know, he was deeply religious. Blasphemer, he says, though. He was persecutor of Christians. He heard about Jesus. He heard about this teachings, and he was vociferous in trying to shut it down. I'm going to shut this down. I don't like it. I don't like him. I don't like, and I know this Stephen guy. I don't like him. We're going to get rid of him. And he was the first Christian martyr. I don't like Jesus. I don't like the message. I don't like it. So hearing about Jesus didn't mean a thing to him. In fact, he hated all of it. I mean, just hated it. It was visceral. Jesus, ah, Stephen, ah, message, don't like it. Don't like it. And it's not as if somehow or another he had a predisposition to follow Christ. You know, some people think that, predisposition to be a follower of Christ. You know, you're at the end of your broken dreams. Your life is falling apart. There's a reason you need Jesus. He didn't need any of that. In his society, he was at the top rung. He didn't need any of that stuff. Didn't care about any of that stuff. No, 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 no. Paul says, I'm an intelligent person. I'm, I was at the best schools. The best schools. I got a good background. I got a good job. I know how things work. I don't need any of this stuff. Uh-uh. Not for me. Not for me. So how does Paul get from that position to I'm a servant of the gospel? And the answer is in verse 7. Go back to verse 7 again. He says, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. 
Then you drop back to the first chapter in verse 19, and I'll give it to you really quickly. He has already mentioned the immeasurable greatness of this power, this power that God has. And he says, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that was put in my life to bring me to this this, um, relationship that I now have with Christ Jesus. And he says, it is an incredible grace that has been given to me. A minister of the gospel is not self-appointed. You're not self-appointed. The role of the pastor or the teacher is not something we choose for ourselves. It's something to which we're called by God. We're called by God. So we recognize that he had received this mystery by way of revelation. God revealed these things to him. It came to him revelation. And with that said, he provides us a pattern, really, of gospel ministry in respect that the minister, the pastor of the gospel is not self-appointed. The calling of God comes in such a way that ultimately we can't do anything other than what we do. It becomes overwhelming, really. It becomes overwhelming. Jeremiah put it this way when, when he was called of God to do things. He said, I can't stop. I can't stop. Or if I say I'll never mention the Lord again, never more speak his name again, then his word in my heart, like a fire, burns, burns in my bones, and I'm weary of holding it in. I cannot. I cannot. No, 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 no. God laid hold. God lays hold. He brings such a deep-seated conviction into the heart. And when we share it with those who know us, they recognize within the context of the local church, the body of Christ, the people of God, they recognize the rightness of it, the truth of it, and that in a sense the internal call to ministry that comes to the heart is ratified by the external affirmation of the people of God. That the people of God sense this, know this, join in with it, celebrate it. And then we move to what is called ordination. Ordination. Where you become recognized by the body of Christ. It is God that sets us apart to ministry of the gospel. This is the one thing I did not want to be. I've said this to you before, uh, and I'm sorry to be personal, but I mean, uh, I I remember someone saying to me, well, one day you'll be a minister. And I said, scared me half to death. Oh, no. No, 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 no. I've watched my dad. I've watched things whatnot. Um, Paul's identity. Minister of the gospel. And the second thing is humility. I think this is huge. 
I think this is a huge thing. Maybe you have humility like the guy who wrote the best-selling book, the, the ten most humble men in the world and how I chose the other nine. <laughs> Paul was overwhelmed. Paul was overwhelmed by the wonder of God's calling, and he says this, to me, to me, to me. I'm the very least of the saints. This grace was given to me. That, that, that language is over and over and over and over in Scripture. He talks about this again and again, and it's also in Jesus' words as he speaks to it. I, the language, I'm the least, I'm the least. As pastor, I'm not your boss. I'm a servant of the gospel. Diakonos, servant of the gospel. I'm the least. The language is everywhere in the New Testament. It's not just for me, it's for all ministry. That people do things in the name of the Lord. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit. The first shall be last. Don't think more highly about yourself than you ought. I'm least. It's all through Scripture. All through Scripture. Philippians 2, 7 and 8. Talks about the mind of Christ. Having the mind of Christ. Have this mind in you which is also in Christ Jesus. What was that mind? Jesus emptying himself into the form of servants. A servant. Jesus. Isn't that who we follow? That's Jesus. Form of a servant. He humbled himself, became obedient unto the death of the cross. God is not some figure in our field of vision that, we, that comes into focus sometimes and then goes out of focus. He is our vision. He is our vision. That's why we've sang these songs this morning. It's all about Christ. Paul, all the way through his life, marveled that the Son of God loved him. Humbled by the fact that God saved him. Are you humbled by that? Or weren't you that bad? That God gave him all these gifts and resources necessary to fulfill the purposes that God had called him to do. He never tires of this. He says to Timothy that he's training and talking with in the first chapter in verse 12, and to those whom he's going to pass the baton of faith. He says, I thank him who has given me strength. Jesus Christ our Lord, because he has judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. I received mercy. And the grace of our Lord overwhelmed me. The saying is trustworthy and deserves full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. And notice what comes next. Of whom I am the greatest. I'm the foremost. Can you say that? Can you say that? Or is it always somebody else's sin? It's always them. He says, but I receive mercy. Have you received mercy? 
I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost sinner, the worst of the pile, Jesus might display his perfect patience. Isn't that a great statement? I'd do a sermon on that sometime. Perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. I can't tell you right now that there are no more unlikely person in this congregation that you might be here and saying that. You know, I, 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 I'm, it's unlikely that this is going to happen to me. You know, this Jesus stuff, the trust in all that stuff. Well, you might be right where up there with the Apostle Paul. Right up there with the Apostle Paul. And he displayed his perfect patience, God's patience. God's patience. So that through our ministry as a church, as believers, others would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ and a life of faith. I like that song. I don't know if you all know it. I don't know that it's been sung that much. I don't know why Jesus loved me. You know that song? I don't know why Jesus loved me. I don't know why he cared. I don't know why he sacrificed his life. But oh, oh, but I'm glad. I'm glad he did. He did. And his grace still amazes me. It amazes me. It overwhelms me. It has covered my sins. And each time I come to his presence, I stand and wonder once again, are you there? Is this amazing to you? Amazing grace? The thing I love about Paul is that he recognizes that he's not the obvious choice here. You know, you ever think about that? He, he, he's not the obvious choice. Remember, he was really good at the resume stuff. Yeah, he had a great resume, lots of stuff here. I mean, you know, he writes to the Philippians and says, you know, I had a really good upbringing. I was this, I was that, you know. Uh, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, graduated the right schools, everything else, but now he says, I'm the least of the apostles. And he's scrambling for language to say that. He's scrambling for language. He says, I'm at the bottom of the pile. I'm the least of the least. Instead of looking at the unworthiness of other people. Take a journey into your own hearts. Look at the beam in your own eye. He says, I'm unworthy. Apostle Paul. I'm unworthy. In 1 Corinthians, even to be called an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is Paul. This is Paul. He actually came to believe because the grace of God had so broke him, so broke him and, 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 and flowed through him that he realized that the thing that he had to say to people was not that he was this or what his background was, but who Jesus was and who Jesus is, and what Jesus can do by the power of God in the life of individuals. John Stott wonders whether, when he's talking about the Apostle Paul, he says, wonder where Paul is actually making a play on his name. 
because his name in, in, in the Roman was Paulus, which means little. It means little or small. And the tradition believes that Paul was a small man. So Stott says, well, maybe he's saying, I'm little in stature and spiritually litter, literally littler than the littlest Christian. Verse 8, so to me. So to me. You see it? You see it? You see it? It's not to me. It's not to me. It's to me. To me? God's grace was given to me? I hated him. I hated Jesus. I didn't want anything to do with Jesus. To me? Humility. Humility. Of all the horrible bits of pride, spiritual pride is the worst. Because everything we have is a gift. Everything you have is a gift that comes from God. There is nothing worse than supercilious Christians. Everything you have is a gift that comes from God. His identity is a minister of the word of God. His humility is as a servant of God. And then the third thing is responsibility. Oh, the responsibility of pastor. Proclamation of the word of truth. Proclamation of the scriptures. And all church offices have coffee pots. We got to get started in the morning. There was this office that were a coffee pot, and whoever drank the last cup of coffee, whoever it was, never replenished the pot for the next person. So the administrator wanted to motivate people to be more responsible, and so they taped a note on the pot, and it read this If Jesus drank the last cup of coffee, what would Jesus do? Go thou and do likewise. The next morning, there was this response. Jesus would have turned water into wine <laughs> instead of coffee. Cute, cute. What was Paul called to do? What was he called to do? Well, he was a chosen instrument of God to bear the name of Jesus to the Gentiles. That in itself was amazing. God says, can you think about this? God says, hey, Paul, Paul, you hate the Gentiles, right? Absolutely. Hate them, Lord. I just hate them. Good. Making you apostle to the Gentiles. Go love them. <laughs> so, so, so his audience was Gentiles. His message was Christ. And he uses the phrase here, the unsearchable riches of Christ. He was there to say, Christianity is Christ. Get over all this other stuff. Christianity is Christ. The real test of somebody's pastoral ministry, the big question you want to ask a person who has the privilege of opening the scriptures and standing behind this box, do they proclaim Christ? Proclaim Christ. It's all our songs this morning were about this. Sing Jesus 
in the mountains, sing Jesus in the streets, proclaim Christ? Do they press Christ in on people? Do they seek to convince me of the sufficiency of the work of God in my life? Seeking to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. So they don't want to convince people about how clever they are, how good they are at this or whatever they do or how much they know about this or know about that. The preacher called of God knows only the way that someone will never become a servant of God. Unless the Spirit of God opens their eyes. Spirit of God opens their eyes to reality of who he is and their need of Jesus. So that's the question. Does the person preach Christ? All other stuff is stuff. You can deal with stuff. Do they preach Christ? People have all kinds of ideas about what you as a pastor should be preaching or not preaching. That's fine. Comes with the territory. You know, a pastor's role is to preach Christ. And always Christ and all of his unsearchable riches. So I don't have a political mandate. My mandate is Christ. That's what I was called to do. I'm not here to tell you about ethics. You know, uh, Jews were full of ethics. You know, morality. Philosophers were full of ethics. You must do this. You mustn't do that. You can't do this. You can't. There's this. There's this. The, the pastor's role is to preach Christ, always Christ, and have a holy patience. You see, part of the challenge of being a teacher or a pastor of the Bible is that you don't give people what they want. You give them what they need. I want ice cream. Well, you're getting green beans. <laughs> you know, where I go to that church, and they do, now you're getting green beans. You're getting green beans. Well, read your Bibles. You know, I'll go back to the first chapter. What we need this morning is the great symphony of praise that Paul begins the book of Ephesians. He, Paul can't help himself. He's so excited by Jesus. In Ephesians 1, 3, he says, to be reminded that the Father has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There's something to chew on. <laughs> chew on that for a while. So you say, well, I haven't been feeling, I don't feel good about this, I don't like this, I don't like something. I was disappointed by that and whatnot. But here's something I do know, that I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. I'm a child of God. I've been adopted into the family of God. I've been redeemed by his blood. I've gone to Calvary. I have the forgiveness of sin and he's lavished upon me his wisdom and his insight. Look at all that stuff and it's mine. It's mine. And this is who I am and this is what I need. See, people come and they say, I need to know how to be a better husband. I need to know how to be this, right? I need to know how to be that. Give me a list of 10 things or, you know, you... You need to know and understand the riches of Christ. The riches of Christ. And that when that becomes a reality, dominating your hearts, dominating your mind, 
other things flow out of that. Everything flows out of that. Your, your worldview, flow, everything flows out of that. They're not irrelevant, those things that, that we talk about. Ethics matter, politics matter, being a good father matters, being a good mother matters, social relationships matter. All these things matter. But out of our relationship with Christ comes the framework of our worldview and how we view all of these things and how God touches all these things. So Paul was concerned to make sure that when people thought about him, they would say, you know, he's kind of, I'll make up a word, crucicentric. Crucicentric. He's always talking about the cross. He's always talking about Calvary. He's talking about the crucifixion. He's always going, Jesus and the cross. He loved to talk about the cross and talk about Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1, and I'll put it up on the screen, says, you are in Christ Jesus who has become before us the wisdom of God. That is our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And with this I finish. Paul would not say, you are a Christian. He would always ask, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? And if you are, you realize that he became those four things for us. Those four things. Wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. And you may be here this morning, and you don't know why you're here. You don't know if there's a loving God. You're searching. You're looking at things. What do you need? You need wisdom. You need wisdom. And there is this wisdom in Christ. Second thing, it's not only wisdom, but righteousness. And people say, well, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a righteous person. I'm a sinful person. And, and before I become a Christian, I've got to get cleaned up. No, 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 no. No, we know this. No, 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 no. This righteousness is a righteousness in Christ. It's his righteousness that he puts on you, clothes you with. Paul says in Romans 3, if you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins will be forgiven. You will be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. And you will stand faultless before his presence. Third thing, sanctification. What does that mean? That's the ongoing relationship you have with Jesus. People say, well, I might be not, not, not be able to, I can, I can start this Christian thing, but I don't know if I can keep going with it. I don't think I could possibly do that. And the answer is that he began a good work in you, will bring it to completion. Leave it up to him. Let, let God be God. Let God be God. And then there's redemption. There's redemption. There's more than this life. There's more than this life. I like Getty's song where, where they sing this. She says, and when I face my final day, you will not leave me in the grave, for I will rise, and you will call me home. The Lord is my salvation. He redeems our lives from the pit. He crowns us with steadfast love and tender mercy. And Paul says, I'm a servant of the gospel. That's a pastor. And that's the people of God. We are servants of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're humbled by the privilege. And I want to be clear in proclaiming Christ, the unsearchable riches, the infinite riches of Christ. Wesley wrote great hymns, none better than Jesus, lover of my soul. And the lines are, you, O Christ, are all that I want. More than all in thee I find. You raise the fallen, cheer the faint, heal the sick, lead the blind, 
Just and holy is your name. I am all unrighteousness. False and full of sin am I. You are full of truth and grace. But, but the second verse starts, plenteous grace with thee is found. Grace to cover all my sins. You know that? All my sin. All my sin. All my sin. You know any other place that does that? Know any other person you can go to to deal with you in that way? To love you that much? Let's pray together. Father, thank you that, that we can come to you in the middle of our increasingly fractured and broken culture. And we come to you to have our minds and our hearts renewed by the gospel, by the word of your truth, so that we won't become ugly Pharisees, talking down to people. Lord, help us to find our identity in Christ as servants, servants of your word. Grant that our humility might be found at the foot of the cross in Jesus Christ. Forgive us our pride and remind us again of what we have in Jesus Christ. We pray this in his precious name. Amen. Amen.